Um, interstitial 2.1. Is that what we call them? I don't understand. We're not doing point anything anymore. No, we're not. No, we're not using points anymore. That's what that we promised our producer that we would never label anything point anything. But like, isn't this? It's yeah. like season. It's like two hundred one. I don't know. There's like a TV numbering system. We're not going to use it. But it's season two, interstitial one, is what it is. Yeah, we're no no more point five episodes. You guys You're gonna have to pay attention to the titles now. <laughs> I mean, do as we say, not as we do. But <laughs> I mean, obviously, you should just listen to everything and not even worry about it. That would be the ideal thing for all of us. Ugh. So, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. We oh, are right. going to be talking this week. <laughs> well, are we rage interstitialing, Sarah? That's what I need to know. I think we are. I'm pretty ragey about this. And I want to have a talk. I know. Okay. It's not, maybe maybe rage is, is too strong a word. No, we're unpacking. Yeah, I want to, so part of my joy, you guys, here's where I'm at. Yesterday, I was walking in the park in Brooklyn with my dog and my kid, and I had this moment where I had a thought that I didn't love about romance, and I wanted to unpack it, and so I texted Jen this thought, and she immediately called me. <laughs> and it was a Saturday morning at like 1030. And she was like, I can't. It's too much to text. But these are my thoughts. And we had a whole conversation about patriarchy versus white supremacy versus anti-Semitism in romance. And it was like 1030 in the morning on a Saturday in my life, and I realized like this is all I want out of life. Yeah, it's like me too. Basically, Same. to like have a thought about romance novels and then be able to fucking hash it out. Like, can we talk it out? Um, and I said to Jen, "So we're not going to talk that out today because we're going to talk that out many times over the next however many episodes." But I said to Jen recently, "I really want to have a conversation about." romance in 2019 and how we talk about the alpha yeah and like what the fuck that is and why we are so weird about like naming alphas and betas or cinnamon rolls or like why we obsess over what the hero is in sort of a single word and also like why we resist so much of that character who, as I like to say, scratches an itch um, in fiction, but who, of course, we would never date in real life. Right. Right. Well, and what this is really tied into, and you and I talked have talked a lot about this, is like the fantasy of romance. Right? Right. Which is not just the fantasy of the romance novel, but also sort of packed into that is female fantasy like oh or or women's fantasy or like marginalized people's sexual fantasies or just i mean the thing i always say is like an example of this is like my favorite thing in romance is that like the heroine's underwear and bra always match oh i know and they're always like they set the hero aflame yeah and you know what i don't think I actually own any matching bras and underwear. 
But I, I think one it. time I wore a matching bra and underwear, and Eric was like, "Whoa, what is this?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right? "I know, we hit the lottery today." <laughs> right. <laughs> So I just think that, right, so, like, when I think about why that thrills me, I mean, it's, like, my favorite, one of my favorite Twitter feeds is that lingerie addict Twitter feed, right? Oh, I don't know that I'm going to subscribe to it while we talk. I think her name's Cora Harrington. I'm not sure. Anyway, she, and I'm always, like, this is the most beautiful, these undergarments are gorgeous. I know. I just want to admire them. And in no way in real life do I actually want to wear them. But I love them. Well, no, I mean, also because you and I are like, you know, our girls need a house, man. Like, we can't. Like, (laughs) I gotta. Like, they need to be, you know, engineered into clothing. And that sort of floofy, frilly, like, perfect underwear does not. It is not realistic in any way, but man, I love to read about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really do. There, I think there's a lot of ways in which romance, and I think you and I agree on this, it's like real, but it's also fantasy. And like the intersection of where those things like work for some people and not for others is very fascinating to me. And I'm going to tell you, Sarah, I love an alpha. Like whatever it is we're defining that as, that's the kind, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. And there are very clear reasons why you love it. Sure. I mean, you do. Like, here's the thing. Like, we've talked for the last, I mean, for however many, for 39 episodes, we (laughs) talked about, well, not, for half of the episodes, for 19 or 20 episodes, we talked about mine, right? Which is, and frankly, when you're reading IAD, like, everybody's the fucking leader of the pack, Oh, so yeah, speak, of course. Right. Everybody's the best, the strongest, the most powerful, the king, the whatever. Right. right? The primordial. Um, unbeatable in every way. And these things have often been marked as alpha traits. And I guess they are. But there's something. But that's not why we love them. I don't think. It's part of it. Power, as in the immortal words of Sierra Simone, uh, power is sexy. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Power is sexy, right? And every romance novel is about power. No matter what it is, no matter what kind of hero you're writing, romance oh, novels yeah. are about power because relationships are about power. Like, right. you're, everybody's relationship in real life, any relationship you have with anybody else is about power. And parody. Yeah. And when you have conflict in a relationship in real life or on the page, it's about power. Well, and I would say that romance then, to me, really fundamentally, when I read it, is about figuring out how to navigate that, right? How to, how to, yeah. How to win at that and sometimes, right? That's the whole ballgame. Like, the navigation of power toward parity is the whole ballgame in romance. And so we've talked a lot about the history of the genre on the podcast. And as we move forward in season two, we are going to talk a lot more about the history of the genre and the books that have kind of made 
romance sort of establish themselves as sort of cornerstone texts in romance, right? And how in many of these books, we're dealing with a hero who is in those early days so impenetrable that literally his point of view is never on the page. Like we never even hear – we. Now, and we're going to talk about POV much more next week when we talk about Dreaming of You, but um, I'm not talking about first person versus third person here, which is what Jen likes to yell and scream about. (laughs) I'm talking about literally like the narrator and the reader don't have access to the hero's thoughts at all in these early books. I... I really remember, this is like a bit of an aside, like the first time, and I think it was Demon Rum by Sandra Brown. I was like trying to figure it out where it was like, this book Mm. is only the hero's point of view. And what a, like it was, like I don't, and I'm kind of like, how did I hear about this? Because there was no Twitter and there was no social media, like, and it must have been like in the back of the book, like coming next month or whatever, right? But I remember that being like something worth like something worth saying, like, hey, this is happening and it's different and new. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, but this is the thing, right? Like when you are looking, when you are looking at a hero and those early books, the early Devereaux, early Lindsay's, early McNaught's, early Garwood's, Bertrice Small, like we never, ever saw the hero. It, we saw it. We never saw inside his head. And so we were really dealing in those early days in my mind, like this is me, like I'm putting on my scholar hat now. In those early days, we were looking at like distilled patriarchy. Like the hero was a world, was representative of sort of a world that was not accessible to women, not accessible to the heroine and not accessible to the The reader. And then the, her- the, the heroine starts to, like, chip away at this rigid, stony character and unlocks, you know, Alec Kincaid or any number of the Montgomerys or, mm-hmm. you know, James Mallory or any m- number of the, you know, Westmoreland yeah. heroes, right? And suddenly we have a ball game because we're able to see that the heroine ultimately lays out the hero. I mean, to the point where in some cases in a McNaught that we will read this season, um, like the hero is literally dying on a battlefield <laughs> because of the heroine. Like, yeah. because of a promise he made to her that he and he will not betray that promise because he loves her. Yeah. So, like, when we see a hero broken to that extent and then rebuilt in this image of equality, we're it's like, I mean, it's delicious for us as readers who subconsciously are keenly aware of our lack of power in many of these relationships. And I think what's really interesting about that is it was so the way I read romance, I came into romance, right, as a young reader. And yet now when I read books that are heroine-only point of view, I find them, like I have to pace myself with them. Like, I can't do it all the time. I find it too hard to get to know the hero. It feels really like a, 
like a bold choice on the part of the author to do such a thing because I'm really used now to having access to all of the characters in a romantic relationship in modern romance. And when people go another way, it feels um, like, like a choice, like, and a risky one at that. You know, it's just really hard to sell me on the other character without me see, being able to see inside their head. Whether that be, like you said, first person or third person, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm used to that being something that I get now in romance. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, this is why one of my biggest challenges, like, as much as you're the one who, like, you know, goes to the mat about first person, the challenge with first person is that sometimes you don't see this, you don't see the important, you don't get the important information from the perspective of the person that you need it from. So craft-wise, one of the rules that we talk about all the time when you talk about POV and romance and you talk about writing multiple POVs is that when you are writing a scene, you should be writing the scene in the point of view of the character who has the most to lose. Right. Interestingly, in these early romances or in romances where you've got a sort of like big, bad, impenetrable alpha, the character who has the most to lose in those early scenes is the heroine because she's navigating this power structure and unable to gain enough, essentially gain enough footing to get herself into a position of power where he can lose something. However, in books like, well, last last year when we talked about uh, The Professional, part of the challenge with The Professional is we never saw, part of the challenge with all three of those books is that we never see the moment when the hero, the heroine is leaving from yes. the hero's point of view. We just see him go animal, right? He He goes feral. And like that first one, Alex... Or Alexi, what's his name? I don't even fucking remember anymore. It's like those books are out of my head. But in The Professional, right, he doesn't, we don't see him go feral. In The Master, we see Maxim, like, you know, run across the field and take the bullet and, like, sh- like he's willing to do anything for her. And so we, we can sort of perceive his feralness. And I'm using feral in a very specific way here. Like, I'm using it on purpose. That is an intentional right. use of the word feral. And then in the player, we see um, Dimitri punch the car. Oh, yeah. Right. Don't he leave. He can't control himself. And we talked about it in, this ep- in that episode. That's a problem moment. Like, if that happened in real life to your friend, you would be like, red flag, get the fuck away from that guy. Yeah. Out of all the flags. Yeah. Holy shit. Call the police. That guy's, like, horrible. Yeah. But when it's happening on the page in a romance novel, it's safer for us to love it. And what does that mean? I sometimes wonder if... If you have heroine-only point of view now, if, or maybe then too, maybe as we read some of these old books, we'll like dig into that. If you have to make that moment for the the hero in this case, right? I mean, like, I feel like this is like really, when we're talking about the alpha hero, it, like to me, it's like very tied into like, like MF romance, right? Where it's like a heroine. I wonder if you don't have to make that low moment really over the top because we have 
it's the only way to signal to the reader just how they really feel. Like you've cut them off from them. And so in order for us to get it, does it have to be bigger? And I don't know the answer to that. I think it does. Like, I think the reason why, you know, I was looking on online and somebody was talking about, I don't know, some book and how the low moment, the sort of dark night of the soul moment um, is was over the top. Right. And we yeah. hear that a lot with romance. Like, oh, it's so over the top. I get that as a criticism for my books a lot. Like, well, the the yeah. the 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 climactic scene is so over the top. And it's like, of course, it's over the top. You have to break them. They have to be crushed. Like, and that's not (laughs) because, I mean, and I, look, I mean, I love every one of my heroes. By the time I get to that scene, certainly I've written heroes who, like, I've not loved most of the book. But, like, by the time I get to that moment, which is usually, like, I don't know, 90% of the way through the book, I love those heroes. Like, I really do. And I don't want to, like, I don't want them to be broken. But, like, they have to break. Because then we have to see them, we have to see them laid low by the idea that they will have, they have lost everything, that they have lost everything of meaning. And the reality is, and you'll never convince me otherwise, that's because all I want is to see the patriarchy destroyed. Yeah. Right. And so, like, if there is anything that that is a solid metaphor for patriarchy, it's this, This this story. Right. The the fighting for power, the arguments about power, the back and forth about fa- power, and the ultimate dismantling of a system and a man who is representative of that system so that he can do nothing else but be yeah. a person who's looking for equality and a mate. I think a lot about, like, okay, so what is that? really mean in the books where it satisfies. Yeah, because I also should talk about, at some point I want to say, I want to talk about the fact that, like, you shouldn't be writing this consciously. That's the problem. (laughs) Right. I don't know how you, I mean, yeah. How do you do that? Well, it was really interesting because, okay, so Daryl is a big horror movie fan. And he went to see It this weekend. And I was asking him, like. did he enjoy it? It looks so scary. It looks so scary. He, I think, has a really uh, high, scary threshold because he's like, it wasn't that scary. But what was really interesting is I was asking him about the ending because I was like, is there a way that horror movies always end that leave you as the viewer in this case, right? Like, it's like that, like, what do you need to have a satisfying romance ending? I feel like is I'm always interested in these, like, genre questions. But the thing I think a lot about in romance is that Part of the breaking of the hero is that he has to say, he has to say, I love you. It has to be the emotional, it's an emotional journey where part of it is this man admitting, I have feelings. Yeah. I'm human. Yes. I have feelings. I'm human. I can't, I have to speak these feelings out loud. It is part of every romance that it's not just enough for a woman or heroine to say, I can tell he loves me by the way he acts. Part of that break, the breaking of that hero has to be, I I have to say it out loud. I have to feel those feelings. And it's different when they're like soft cinnamon rolls the entire time. Here's where I'm at. And this is going to be a controversial thing. I'm sort of like a little afraid to say it, but whatever. 
when we talk about these soft books and there is a place for them, right? Because like, I appreciate that. Like that's part of the fantasy too. I have so much to say. I have so many, I have so many thoughts in my head. I got to like sort them (laughs) out, you guys. But here's the thing. When we talk about these soft books and these soft heroes and these cinnamon rolls and like how much we love, like a hero who just wants to like hold the heroine and like cook for the heroine and clean for the heroine and like be the heroine's, you know, person, right? Yeah. It feels to me, you know, intellectually when I think about that. So, okay, personally, this I'm not afraid to say. These books do nothing for me. Like, I can appreciate them on a literary level, on a romance level. Like, I can say, like, that's a finely crafted book. I can say that's a finely written book. This person's a skilled writer. But, like, they do nothing for me in a primal way. And, like, there is a sort of primalness to romance that I will never give up. Like, you will have to pry it from me. And I think we are alike in that way, right? Yeah, I mean, like, we just did a podcast about Cressley Cole. Come on. So there is that, right? But also from a craft Mm -hmm. perspective, from, like, an intellectual perspective, if you start the book with a fully realized – with two characters who are both fully realized, decent people who, like, live in the world and are feminist and anti-racist and perfect in every way, right? They're all – Died in yeah. the wool Democrats who, like, love each other and can cook perfectly, then where is there to go? Right? Yeah. And I mean, like, I appreciate that as I say those words, that's a problematic, like, I can understand, like, intellectually and emotionally that that's, like, a, a problematic thing. But then I sort of think to myself, and literally I'm doing this, I'm, like, speaking my thoughts as they're coming into my Fine. head, you guys. But, like... Then I think to myself, but wait a second, is it that problematic? Because I'm not saying I want to marry Alec Kincaid, right? I'm not saying, like, I want to marry whatever, I don't know, who's my worst hero, Born, right? Right. But I am saying, like, I want to read Born Breaking. I want to read Devil Freezing to death, realizing that he's fucked everything up. Spoiler alert. Right? Yeah. So, and like, but my husband is not those things. Like, my husband is a proper cinnamon roll. Like, and I love him for it. Right. So why can't I have my cake and eat it too, Jen? (laughs) Well, I think I have, I, I think keep coming back to the question about like what the fantasy is. The fantasy for you and me is that, like, a pa- the patriarchy can be tamed. And that's what we want to read. More now than ever before. Yeah. More now than ever before, right? Because the, if it, right? The, now, I, again, I feel like it's worth us saying that, like, I think both of us are totally aware that, like, taking the patriarchy out of context of capitalism and racism or whatever, right? Sure. But, like, whatever, that's where we're doing right now. So I think for me, like you, the cinnamon roll um, fantasy is just one that is not one. It's not what I personally really need right now. I read about one a year and really enjoy it, but I don't want to read them nonstop. And I think part of it is because like that fantasy, which is like your like the helpmate fantasy, maybe. Right. Maybe that's what it is. Or the like. We're going to team up together and, like, already be in, like, already be so far advanced. 
I don't know, like maybe it's just a different fantasy. Like maybe we needed someone on who do love those books to tell us what it is that is like hitting that primal need in them. Right. Right. And yeah. I mean, I- it's interesting because we I've I had this conversation with a friend not long ago about the fact that like post-election, all she wants to do is read beta heroes. Right. And also, like, yeah. pause, because I want to say also that, like, I sort of instinctively loathe the, you know, a hero's all either an alpha or a beta or a cinnamon yeah, roll or right, a whatever. Like, I hate all that discussion. Any decent writer is writing a complex hero who is many things, right? Of course. Of course. Um, so, you know, there's that. And I feel like I've also I have to have said that like over the course of, you know, all those Roth brothers. Right. So. Sure. (laughs) But um, the so she was basically saying, like, I just want to read like happy, bantery, joyful, like fun, soft heroes and like books. And I was like, that's fair in the wake of the election. All I want to do is read, like, the most bananas stories. Like, I want every author out there taking the finger, as we (laughs) discussed in last last season. Because, and I think part of it is because, like, basically, if your book isn't about dismantling, like, institutions of power and privilege and hate that we are living with right now, like, why? And, but this is the thing. It's like, I also, I'm also saying, like, I appreciate that. That's not fair. Does that make sense? I think it's one of the, something Kelly and I talk about a lot is like the work you decide to do in the world is everybody's work is different, right? So, you know, like our, the work of like, I'm going to tackle this head on by talking about how you break, you know, you break down the most like a virulent kind of the patriarchy versus other people's work is maybe not as, is not taking the finger, right? Other people's work is just different. And I think that it's okay to to say that. I think what worries me and you is that I I don't want to be told that loving the breaking of the alpha makes me a regressive romance reader. <gasps> right? Yes. Yes. And I feel like that's the narrative that I'm like, look, I don't I don't understand your work and you don't understand my work. I don't know. Like, right. That's the part I think I that's hard. I think I think it's a very specific narrative that we're hearing in a very specific place. Right. So I think this is a thing that we hear about a lot. Like we see it a lot on like romance Twitter. Right. Or like on like but. Interestingly, like I run a reading book club on Facebook and you don't hear that so much there. Like I think it's a it's a conversation that is happening in a very in very specific circles and I think it's worthy of happening. Um but I think that often we lose sight of the idea that fantasy women's fantasy or um f- the fantasy of people the fantasies of people whose gazes are not traditionally presented as fantasy, right? Or who are not often given like a space to fantasize publicly. Um, That fantasy, like policing that fantasy is a terrible, frankly, regressive 
uh, way of being. My concern is that when we say when we police fantasy, particularly the fantasy of or specifically the fantasy of people whose fantasies are never given a place to exist and thrive. Right. Which is what romance has always been. It's been a place for sexual fantasy of people who are not given access to sexual fantasy in the real, like, in the world writ large, right? If you're not cis, het, white, and male, like, your sexual fantasies are not on billboards and in movies, right? But they are in romance novels. And so if we are policing that fantasy, if we're policing the, like, I don't know, motorcycle club or the BDSM or the, I don't know, the alpha who is broken and then rebuilt— then are we progressing as a genre or are we regressing as one? It should be broadening, right? It should be that right. I don't love a cin- I don't need to read cinnamon rolls. Like when when I'm in a reading slump, cinnamon rolls are not the answer. But like they might be the answer to someone else. And like go with God. Like Yeah. And that's that's exact I think that's it. Like I love that we are broadening. I think it's really more expansive as a genre, right? Like I I read that um like we always joke with Kate. She's like, I don't want to read two Ps and V. And I was like, Yeah, I do. And I think that part of it is like I feel like there's so many more places that romance is like giving us so many more like so many more access to so many more fantasies and so many more kinds of fantasies. But I still, my fantasy is still like that alpha getting broken and crying because, and and not cry like, and being like, I love you. Like, I still want that one too. Right. I don't want to lose that as we move forward and have so many more fantasies. I still love that old school fantasy. I do. I probably always will. Because I grew up with it and because of where we are in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, and what's really interesting about it is um, I don't think anyone would argue that in the early days, the writers, I, don't, I mean, I don't think any of any anyone would argue that most of the writers of the genre are like thinking about like representing the smashing of the patriarchy in that moment. Right. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think, I don't think Judith McNaught was like, all right, I'm going to write Whitney, my love. And Clayton's going to be so much of an asshole that then like when he is broken at the end, we're going to like, everyone will see that it's a metaphor for women's, the women's (laughs) movement. Right. Like, right. Literally, if you would knock me directly over if you told me that that was what Judith McNaught was thinking about when she was writing Whitney, my love. Like, I think she just opened up id and like poured it onto the page and we got what we got. Right. Yeah. Um, But I think that. And so, like, I think this whole conversation should be taken with us in a sense of like. We're doing a lot of thinking about the work of romance in a way that a lot of that I think does writers a disservice sometimes. Like, I think when you mm-hmm. and I say this as somebody who like has gotten in her head about like, well, what is the political ramification of this story? Right. Yeah. And suddenly you think to yourself like, well, now I'm in now I'm in the weeds. Like now I'm frozen because I'm yeah. terrified that I'm going to write. I'm going to 
do this thing wrong, right? That I'm going to tell the story of smashing of patriarchy wrong, or I'm going to tell the story of whatever this political thing that I want to talk about is, I'm going to do it wrong. Versus like, ultimately, writing with conflict and with pacing and with voice and with, you know, character that just like, is primal. Yeah. Well, and I think it's fearlessness. Yeah. And I think though, I mean, I want to be really clear, like when we talk about it being like wrong, I think the fear is always, 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 because it's always the charge, right? Like Hillary Clinton talked about like, uh, you know, hero putting a woman over horse and riding away with her, right? Like we, here we are as a genre saying like, no, it's feminist. And yet people outside the genre are like looking at it and saying, no, it's, it isn't. And that is always the push-pull, I think. Like a really primal, foundational yeah. push-pull of romances. Is it feminist? Is it, like, is it enough to, right? Like, when is it enough? When is it feminist? When is it anti-racist? When is it, when is it progressive versus when is it regressive? And I think that the, that, yeah. that question is one I, maybe we can't tell until 10 or 15 or 20 years later. I mean... Who knows? But you can't convince me it's not. And yet I have such a hard time explaining to you why it is. And I don't know what to do about that. Wait, why romance is feminist? Yeah, I mean, I or, or like why? I mean, I don't know where the line is, right? Does that make sense? Like, I don't know how to explain. Yeah, here's my thing. For whatever, 45 years... The genre was accused of being regressive and anti-feminist. Like, the women's movement was moving women forward and romance novels were taking us back. And I have never ascribed to that for all the reasons that you have heard me, like, many, many hours of expounding on that, right? Now I think what we're hearing, though, is from inside the house, we're hearing not all these books are feminist. And I think that is where things start to get real dicey because I have always said that romance is feminist in two different ways, right? Like that on the one hand, it's feminist because it is, there are the, there are the texts that are doing something overtly feminist on the page. Mm-hmm. The breaking down of the alpha hero, the the like the the celebration of the cinnamon roll, like these kind of moments where we start to see parody as a um, like parody as a as a as like a construct in the novel, like sexual parody yes. or you know whatever. Right. I mean, again, we're talking about a very specific kind of feminism here. Um, but then on the other hand, you have the books. That are written as one-handed reads, right? For pure pleasure for women or for people to have – for people who, again, have never had their pleasure centered by any form of media, including pornography. Right, right. Then you have – so you have an entirely different realm of romance that is doing the work of, like, identifying, like, basic human pleasure – beyond cishet white male and like that also has value or cishet white female for that matter it's like cis or het or white or yeah it's like or and and or <laughs> like yeah exactly well and i think the thing that i think about a lot 
is um, what when we talk about like H H E A for for all, right? Happily, everyone after to use your language. I think the thing that romance novels have taught me foundationally, and you will never convince me that this isn't important, is that like you deserve like ultimate love and acceptance in your relationships with people, other people, whether they be mm. romantic relationships or not. Mm-hmm. Whoever that person is on the page, they deserve people in their lives who say, I love you the way you are. And that is right to, to me is profoundly radical. And as we see more and more romances that are not just about white ladies and by white ladies, we see a lot of expansion about like what that looks like and what that means. And I love those fucking books a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Adriana Herrera's American Love Story series. You know, like it's that sense of like she wrote these, she, that first book, American Dreamer, like is a male, male romance, but um, like, but so much of the love on the page is from families. And I think that that's the part that I find, like, as a, as a woman in the world, right? Like the ways in which I've tried so hard to like fit into boxes and make people happy and right, like take up less space and less room. And in a romance, the people in the romance are allowed to take up however much room they fucking want to. And that's all I want to mm-hmm. read. Except yeah. for, except for the patriarchy. They're the ones who can't exist the way they come into the story. No. And if you think about it structurally, like if you think about them as a metaphor for, like if you think about the general arc of the romance novel from, con- like from, you know, disparate two or three or however many disparate people come together, experience conflict and end up like in happily ever after. If you think about that as a metaphor for like a larger battle in this in society that we are all fighting every day, then, yeah, of course, at the end, of, like we're Marvel movies, right? Like at the end, the good yeah. guys win, which means the patriarchy doesn't win. And I just like what I worry about is I you start to hear from inside the romance house, like, well, alphas are the problem, and it's like, but are alphas the? I mean, yes, of course, alphas are the problem. That's the point. Alphas are the problem, and then we see them dismantled on the page by the opposite of an alpha and then restructured as men worthy of love, which frankly, I mean, if anything is a fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's hard to, I mean, God, I love my husband. Right. But man, it's hard sometimes. And I said to my husband, I fired over the last couple of months. I have fired a lot of men in my life, like a lot of service. I mean, this is a whatever you guys. I mean, here we are, right? It's Miss Andrea Hour with Sarah. Um, <laughs> but the, um, but like, I have basically like I have, I have, I have eliminated a lot of men from my life from like tangential roles of my life, um, and. And re and hired instead smart, like savvy women, 
right? And I said to my husband the other day, I was like, I'm just, I'm like slowly like eliminating men from my life. And I was like, you're lucky I'm a Kinsey too, because (laughs) you'd be out, man. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, (sighs) yeah. I think the thing though that I, I really want to talk about is how much I as a reader need conflict. Right. So you talked about, right, like a a romance now, it's like the relationships puts these people on the page and it doesn't matter actually like who who they are. But like what I need is to see that like conflict with conflict changes people. Conflict changes the way we relate to each other. It changes the way we think about ourselves. And the best romance to me is always going to be rooted in conflict And so that is why I, as a reader, I think sometimes um, the sim and roll books don't really, I think the reason I don't find them as primal is because the conflict is, the barrier is just, the conflict is lower uh, by design. And I get that. I get that how much I value my relationships right now that are sort of lower conflict, right? Like that really speaks to me. But in a romance, I still really need to see like this be like the clash of the titans because okay because ultimately and this is where i'm gonna get like nerdy about books but like ultimately isn't the purpose of literature to sort of like mirror or like or to mirror our our own struggle right like there's sort of this yeah you know, I was talking to Sierra Simone about all of this not long ago, and she said something really, really, I mean, she's Sierra, so of course she said something really smart. She said something so brilliant to me, and she was basically saying, like, when you strip conflict out of a romance novel, what you're basically doing is setting up two people in some sphere of perfect, transparent communication and trust from the start, right? And yeah. so... As she said to me, and this is a direct quote, it doesn't mirror pain, it doesn't mirror growth, it doesn't mirror joy. I wrote it down because I was like, that's so smart, it's now sticking to my wall, right? Right. And the reality is, is that like what conflict does is say to a reader, your pain, your growth, your joy is not abnormal. You are okay. Like this is real and what you are feeling is real. And look at these two people who are experiencing pain and growth and joy. And like, frankly, nobody's exploded your boat. So, (laughs) you know, if these two can make it, so can can you. Right. Right. And And I think that that's that's powerful. That's all I want. Also, I mean, like, there is an argument to be made that, like, if you have two very, like, lovely people on the page together, like... (sighs) I don't I don't know. Now I'm sort of thinking like if you're two lovely people on the page together and like are you writing for people who don't have that? Right? Like maybe oh, this yeah, is sure. this is I don't know. Maybe my privilege is showing. I don't know. Like maybe my my relationship is you know with a person who is kind and decent to me. Right. So why do I want to read about my own life? What that goes back to the idea that like different people deem different things out of romance and different people need different things out of the media that they consume. Right. Like when I think about why my husband loves horror so much. Right. Like I have this theory that it's like sort of serving the same function as of romance. It is. Right. Yeah. Like he's just like, I want to know that people are going to either band together or escape evil. 
Mm-hmm. It's like mystery like, novels. That, like, yes, there is like a mystery novel where the mystery isn't solved. It's not a very good mystery novel. I love that there's all different kinds of relationships on page. Mm-hmm. I love it. I I love it, even though I still want to read about conflict and people like because you know what? Even though I we joke that I like to fight, that's something I've really had to learn. I yeah. I. That's something I had to learn. Yeah. And it's something that still scares me. And so when I, when I see people in a romance that are in high conflict, it's like, you can do this too. It, it speaks to me because of who I am. 20-year-old Jen did not like to fight. 20-year-old Jen was afraid of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think romance novels teach us that they, like, continually model that communication. Right. Yes. That conversation that has to happen between two people who love each other or who like yes. are working toward loving each other. Right. Like love is messy. Relationships are messy. I mean, I've spent a lot of years in therapy, man. Relationships are messy. I think that par- that's part of the reason why like one of the my favorite romances now is marriage and trouble. Isn't that funny how that works? Like, as you yeah. age and you age into marriage, you're like, marriage and trouble is so much more interesting to me now than it was. Like, when I was 20, of I cared course. not a bit about marriage and trouble. No. And I mean, and that's because of who we are right now. So I think that that's the thing that is like this primal, like when we talk about like what's primal or foundational, it's always going to be the intersection of like who we are as people and readers, where we are in our lives now, but also like what we came up through in terms of, like, our romance history. Like, there's always going to be things that, like, ring that bell because it's like Julie Garwood's The Bride for me. Always. And that's the thing, right? Like, that takes us back to that sort of alpha question, which is, so now you all know how I feel about the alpha, like, what I feel the alpha is actually doing. But, like, that's intellectual, Sarah. Like, that's Sarah's brain saying, like, the alpha represents patriarchy. Like, if I were teaching, and I do teach this class. Right. When I talk about, like, what, who is, you know, Christian Grey? Why does he scratch the itch? Right? Because right? God knows Christian Grey scratched the itch for, for hundred million readers. Okay? Yes. So, like... don't come at me with anything. Like, I don't want to talk about the quality of the writing. I don't want to talk about the story. I don't want to talk about any of that. All I want to talk about is why Christian Grey worked, right? Because he did work. And he launched a thousand million billionaires. So Christian Grey, I can, like, intellectually tell you why Christian Grey works, right? He is strong. He has immense power. He's incredibly wealthy. He takes care of her. He makes sure she has food in her fridge, that her car works, that she has money in her bank account. He literally buys the business she works for to fire her boss. She can have a happy (laughs) job life. Um, And then on top of all that, he manages her orgasms to perfection. Right? Yeah. All these things, like, cognitively work. Right? On a, like, specific Uh level. But so do a thousand other billionaires. And, like, so do all the dukes. So do all the vampires. Like, we've seen seen literally a billion 
yes. rich, powerful, like great yeah. in the bed, in the sack kind of heroes. But like, what is it about that that scratches the itch? I don't know. It's just there. It's built yeah. in. But I hate saying that. I mean, we grew up in this society, right? Like, I feel like in a society where women's financial security is always so precarious, it makes sense that he would, like, both... I mean, it's really interesting to me the part that he's both a billionaire, but it's not that she's going to quit working. Oh, and he's always around. He's never at work. Of course right? not. So, like, men don't have so to work is, in romance. Only women do. No. <laughs> No, that's a different kind of interstitial. But, the, <laughs> but but like truthfully, there's that too, right? It's the fantasy of like he's a billionaire and we have all this. We have immense security, but he's yes. always there emotionally for me. Yeah. Well, and that he what he wants is for her to be self-actualized. I mean, I think that it's like. It's I'm, just id, man. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's And I think that's the problem is like it. I mean, like, look, I'm talking about Christian Grey as, like, a, he's sort of a placeholder for a thousand other heroes. Um, so, like, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think Fifty Shades worked f- for very specific reasons in the time, like, uh, during the actual moment in history when Fifty Shades was written. But right. that it's so primitive, that sort of idea that, I mean, it's like, it feels like it goes back to, like, days of like hunters and gatherers right like yeah there's that sort of like <gasps> primitive itch scratch and i can't i don't understand i want i want to be evolved but i'm not there like i love mine yeah. i love that moment yeah, where alec and cade says you call like what when the question is asked what what do we call her and he says mine, you call yeah. her mine You know, here's the thing I think about a lot, though, in like in terms of like Fifty Shades and and a lot of like the old alphas, you don't really see it as much anymore is and it but it was certainly part of IAD is and it was like part of Twilight, I would say, too, is Mm -hmm. that this extraordinary person would look at look at uh, and instantly recognize that this was the person for them and that there's something really appealing about being seen in a crowd by someone that you think is extraordinary, Christian Grey or Edward Cullen or whoever, and that they're going to pick you out. And I'm not really one, I don't really read in the way that I'm like, I'm like the heroine, but that idea of being seen immediately as you are extraordinary too, that, that, there's faded mates. Yeah. Faded mates. Of course it is. There's a reason that we read IAD together, right? Yeah. I mean, but I've said a thousand times, I actually don't really like Faded Mates. But even, you know, the opposite of Faded Mates feels like, in some ways, right, it's enemies to lovers. But, like, even in that moment, like, there's always, it's the being seen moment. It's the, like, enemies to lovers only works if, like, when you, the first moment that they interact, it just is, like, explosive. It's that. And here's my other thing. And I think this is similar for us. Enemies to lovers is, I'm going to take 999 times over over friends to lovers because it's also really high heat. 
You can't have enemies to lovers at a low simmer. It Mm -hmm. is always explosive. And that's it. I love conflict. And so I want it to be, I want it to fucking, I want the gas turned up under that pot immediately. I do not want it to be sort of like, like, and that's the thing. All of those books, the alpha, all of those really always come with, come with the heat, right? Like they're coming in hot and I, and that's what I want. You know, I also think that part of the challenge here, I mean, I said this earlier, but when I said, you know, I hate that we distill everything down to like, well, is it alpha? Is it beta? Is it, you know, what is it? Because I do think I often struggle with alpha, the perception of the alpha as like being like in cells. Yeah. You know, like as being like, I hate women. I'm powerful. Women are weak. Like that's. That's not a good alpha. That's not a good alpha from the start, from the get. And like, and that alpha, the I hate women, women are weak. Like, I, women exist for my pleasure. Women exist for me to own. Like, who's ever written that romance hero? No, I don't like that one. But I don't Uh, think I've ever even read a book with a hero like that. I think it's a, I think it's a misreading, honestly, instead of a, Often those those original 80s heroes, and we're going to read some of these, are I was a man who was profoundly hurt. And it's turned me into a misogynist, right? Because I was so hurt by a woman. And I do not want to be hurt again. I fear being hurt again. Yeah. That seems different to me. Yeah. There's that classic trope in historicals where the her- the hero has had like a string of mistresses. Or like a string of really of like relationships that mean nothing, right? And yeah. invariably, like that can be perceived as that can be read as like he just he's misogynist, right? Like he doesn't right. care about women. He doesn't care about women's bodies or women's feelings or anything. Um, and then he meets like the one, yeah, and she's not like other girls. And yeah, that is like in my mind, I can I can totally see why that's a misread, like why. Yeah. Meaning why people would read that as like, that's alpha and I hate it. Yeah. But like, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people have been talking about wit, the hero Mm. of Brazen and the Beast as being an alpha. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, because it feels like he's really not like he's not any of the things that people misread alphas as. But he is like. He's taciturn. Super, That's it. He's super big and he yeah. doesn't really talk. And yeah, when he throws a punch, it lands hard. But he also like lives in a apartment filled with pillows and books by women. He carries candy in his pockets. <laughs> and has candy all the time. <laughs> I was like, look, you're not an elf if you have candy in your pockets all no. the time. My also, God. he's definitely submissive in the bedroom. And so like, I don't even know. <laughs> just feel like stop using that word so like be more discerning when you're using like these words let's define the alpha then like let's have that be the thing we end this episode with like what does it mean when we talk about the alpha like define it so for me like one hallmark of it is like emotionally like not like they're going to start the book out of touch with their feelings And afraid of their feelings. Yeah. I mean, if we have to define it, like, I think that when we define it, like, when we define it from the 
IAD perspective or from like we're about to read Dreaming of You, like from Derek Craven's perspective or from any of my heroes' perspectives, yeah, they're like emotional toddlers. I mean, yeah, they're like I was. Uh, yeah, they're like seedlings. Yeah, and like they just can't like they just have no frame of reference for like the scope of humanity that they are about to experience. And when they actually experience that humanity and that emotion, they're fucking done for. Yeah. And like, across uniformly, my heroes are done for. <laughs> That's all I want, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I don't think that, I mean, like, that's not me. That's all these women who I've read my whole life. I think one other hallmark, I mean, so I've been, because I've been thinking a lot about it, right? I think another thing I often associate with the alpha is that they are, and you say this all the time, that they're a king, right? Mm. In whatever it is that they have chosen to do, they are the best at what they do. Sure. But that they are always taking care of the people under them, mm. at least like at least in a like a financial or security way, but not not in an emotional way. One of my catnip scenes in any romance novel is the scene where the hero is like befuddled, right? Like yes. by his feelings, essentially. Yes. Like he just can't. He's like, I think I'm. Yes. I'm having. It's like. Things are weird. Like my tummy's weird and my head feels weird. And she said a thing and it made me feel a thing. And I don't, I can't identify any of the words. I have no words for any of it. And like yes. his servant or his brother yes. or his like Knows. mom is like, yes. what the fuck is wrong with you? Like you're yes. having feelings. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> hello. That is my favorite These thing. Are feelings. My absolute all time favorite thing is the person yeah. who's like, welcome to the world of feelings. <laughs> What's wrong with you, right? Worthy. I just want to talk about oh, Derek Craven. We're going to do know. it next week, right? But, like, uh, it's the best scene in a romance novel when everybody's like, yeah, hi, welcome. Like, yeah. and it's because it just shows what emotional, you know, toddlers they are. And, like, there is a joy to that. There is a joy. And there is, like, there is an immense fantasy. Like, it is an immense fantasy for so many people, including myself, like to be able to say like, I'm, you know, whatever, like, I love my husband a whole lot. But we have these moments, sometimes I have a moment where I'm like, I'm sad. And I don't know why. And he's like, I don't, what does that even mean? Like, and he can't, like, and I'm like, I just, I'm just, I need a cry. I need to have a cry. And he's like, what is happening right now? Yeah. And I'm like, I just help. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, and like, God. he just can't like patriarchy is a hell of a drug and it has ruined them too. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. like, and like the idea that you might have a hero who like ultimately discovers that those feelings and like yeah. is able to interact with them is really cool. And as I say yeah. that, I think like, well, that's what a cinnamon roll does from the start. But then what else is happening? Are they on the run? <laughs> Has, is there a murderer? <laughs> of course not. They're cinnamon rolls. Oh my God. I mean, what we really should do an interstitial about cinnamon roll heroes that we love because I do have some that I really have. Oh loved, God, me but, too. Oh, me yeah. too. I mean, I feel like there's this joke I used to make. I don't really make it anymore because I think it's probably insensitive. I used to joke, like, I need a wife. I need someone who's going to, like, take care of me 
That is a very mm. deep-rooted fantasy that I think when I read a really perfect cinnamon roll book, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to have someone who is going to take care of me as opposed to, like, me taking care of them. It's interesting because I do think this sort of brings up – and we're obviously going over because <laughs> welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting – I had this long conversation, and and she's going to come back on the pod this, this – um, this season. But Adriana Herrera and I were talking about trauma in romance novels. As you, as you guys know, who were listening last year, um, Adriana is a trauma specialist and she came, she gave us a lot of really interesting insight about McCreeve. Um, and she was a guest episode on the Bowen episode, um, a guest on the Bowen episode. And, um, one of the things that, uh, we were talking about in, in terms of trauma, we were talking about the end of American Love Story, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there, the epilogue of American Love Story is like this really interesting, um, or one of the final scenes of American Love Story is what is a really interesting, like, moment of mater- of like, um, uh, like marital idol, like relationship yeah. idol between the two heroes, um, where they are like both doing like serious emotional work like next to each other like side by side like as partners Mm. and we were talking just about like how there is room for the book that is telling this like modern iteration of the romance where like it's a really authentic representation of the life, like the struggles that we have in life, right? The heroes of this particular book are a, um, like a activist and a lawyer. And so, mm-hmm. and like, they're just, they're never, like, it feels like these two people just have like completely different worldviews. Um, and so like that kind of relationship, again, though, I've always said this in the hands of a like tremendous author works really well. Also, so much conflict, like so much emotional internal conflict in that story because ultimately like at their core, they have completely different views of like how life should be and like what their purpose is. Right. Which is cool. So actually forget everything. Well, first of all, don't forget everything I just said because like that's that's it's a great book and it's a great read because you have these moments of this moment of like. There is so much emotional conflict to unpack there, unlike relationships where, like, it's just two people who really, like, super like each other, which is, like, fanfic. And, like, that's a whole nother story. But, like, we should have somebody on. We should see if Kat Sebastian will come on or somebody will come on who, like, is really a fanfic lover um, to talk to us about the way fanfic has informed modern romance. I mean, I think that's it. Like, we're just trying to unpack all these different things. But for both of us... Like, this question of, like, the alpha and what it's doing and what it's done through time and why it still is always going to scratch that itch for us. Like, I don't I don't want to lose that. There's something – those stories still really speak to me. I mean, to be fair, Jen, I don't think you're going to lose that. Like – I hope not. Those stories – readers – I mean, a massive swath of romance readers love that as a story. You know, I know that because I have a career. (laughs) (laughs) I want Sarah to come back on and I want us to talk about fearless romances. Yeah. This this season, because I think people I think a lot of writers are real afraid to write directly into it. 
And I get I that. Yeah. That's a it's, scary. That's a scary thing to do. I have been in there. a scary time. It's I a am scary there. Thing to do in a scary. Time, I am there right? every book. I'm there currently. You know, with the book that I'm writing, and I think, um, you know, harnessing, like finding fearlessness is really difficult as a writer, especially in 2019, because you don't want to do it wrong, right? Yeah. You don't want to harm anybody. Right. But I think there are ways for us to tell these stories that have these sort of high conflict, explosive relationships that in a way that doesn't harm, but actually like, you know, entertains and ultimately like pleasures readers. That's all I want, Sarah. I know. Same. Same. <sighs> Well, let's leave it there for today. It was less ragey, I think, than it could have been. Yeah. Well, I think we were really put together. I I agree. (laughs) I mean, I'm not I'm not mad at anybody. I want everyone to get what they want and what they need out of romance. That's all. I just don't want anybody to feel like they're wrong for wanting what they want. Like you can't be both progressive and like an alpha. Right. That's nonsense. Go read your books. It's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and so I think I think that's where I'm at. Like, let's not let women women's bodies are getting enough policing these days. Like, let's not police their minds too. word. Um, this is Fated Mates, everybody. It's uh, the beginning of our new season. Next week, we have our first book. Uh, Dreaming of You. Um, with Jen and I's, our favorite, with Jen and my, what the favorite? Jen and my, Jen and my, our, with our, Sarah, our, our favorite. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. I have a copy editor for that stuff. This is um, the very reason why possessive pronouns were created. Exactly. Why, uh, with our, one of our very, very favorite heroes. Um, top five for me for sure. Oh, God, Possibly yes. top two. Definitely top two. It's Rune and Derek Craven. Um, anyway. Uh, so we will be back next week with the deep dive on that. You will no doubt have a lot of questions and a lot of concerns if you've never read this book before. Um, it's fine. Jen and I have a list. We're going to talk about it all. Don't worry. You'll be fine. We're going to take care of you. Yeah. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Um, you know, tell your friends about us and, um, find us on Twitter at Fade Meets. We're on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. What else? What else do we want to say? Uh, we are both. There's a, a Romance for Races uh, yeah. fundraiser online. Uh, I think this is probably the last week of that. Uh, so you can head over to the link. We'll put it in show notes. Um, I've got a manuscript critique up for auction. And Jen has a couple of really fun things, including a Faded Mates book pack. Yes. Which is great. So head over and bid on that. Um, all the funds go directly to organizations on the border, working on the border. Um, and we are really, really thrilled to be a part of that. Um, anyway, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Go read a book. See you next week with Derek Craven. Yay!